Welcome to Zen Bones, ancient wisdom for modern times. This is Mark Lesser. Why Zen Bones? Our world is in crisis and ever-shifting, and now, more than ever, more wisdom, clarity, and courage are essential, especially in the world of work, business, and leadership. Lynn Twist has been recognized as a global visionary committed to alleviating poverty, ending world hunger, and supporting social justice and sustainability for more than 40 years. She's the co-founder of the Pachamama Alliance and founder of the Soul of Money Institute. In today's episode, we explore the power of commitment on many levels, the personal and relationships and our work, and most of all, the power of living a committed life working towards something larger than ourselves. Lynn talks about how she arrived at the work of environmental education and healing, and her deep commitment to ending the climate crisis. Lynn, it's really a pleasure to be with you. It's been a, it's been a while, and always I'm, I, I'm really happy to see you. Happy to see you too, Mark. Thank you for inviting me to be on your podcast. I'm delighted to have a conversation with you. <laughs> and I love the topic of both of your books are, are topics that are, I think, close to my heart and also, I think, immensely important in today's world about money and the right use of money, the soul of money. Mm-hmm. And your your latest book about living living a committed committed life. You know, it's interesting in, in, in a language that's sometimes used, and I'm curious as to what you think of this, in the Zen world, they sometimes say living a life of vow, and that one way that a shift, a big shift in our way of being is from living from habit energy to more freedom, more a life of vow. And as I, as I have been reading your book about it's interesting the relationship between commitment and freedom, right? That somehow mm-hmm. once we're committed, we're 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 more free. How does that strike you? The language of vow and freedom and commitment. Oh, interesting! I've never heard the life of vow. Is that a, a Buddhist term? You know, it, it it comes from the Buddhist world. There's a a book that was written by a a Buddhist Zen teacher that the, the, the book is called Living by Vow. Mm. And it, it has parallels, of course, with your, your book, but it, it, yeah, it's an emphasis, I think, on the, the, inner, the inner journey. And what I love about your book is that it's the inner journey and the outer journey as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, mm. the, the connection between our vow and taking action in the world. Yeah. Well, wow. That's so that's so interesting to hear that word vow. It sounds different to me and more religious mm-hmm. than commitment, more secular, but also can be, you know, obviously very, very deeply rooted to people's faith, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's the word vow just brings up all kinds of different images for me when I think about it. Maybe because I was raised a Catholic. And priests and nuns were part of my, my childhood. Yeah. And I always thought, oh, God, you're supposed to do that. That's right. what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so 
or commitment. Yeah, Maybe we'll, we'll stay with stay with commitment. I love the word vow. That's beautiful. Well, yeah, my my experience really, which I write about my own experience and the experience that I'm having in the observing or knowing or engaging with or collaborating with people that I deeply respect is that they and hopefully me are living what I call a committed life, which is that we're not governed by the whims of our desires or the, you know, negative, positive thoughts that sort of run around your brain so much as we are by a deep and profound commitment or calling. And when you're rooted in a deep and profound commitment or calling, you have the kind of courage and wherewithal and through line, you could say, to, to use a kind of a normal word, to not be seduced as easily. It's not that you don't get seduced from time to time. I love French fries, you know, and I love <laughs> sleeping in. and I love <laughs> all kinds of things. But you don't get seduced as easily by the, the powers that sort of push us around in the culture patriarchy, colonialism, powers that have, you know, really kind of like framed life for so long. I know we're all struggling with those things. They're huge, huge systems and structures of thinking that we're all caught in. I was just on a call about that. So that's why it's sort of coming up for me. But also, you know, habits like interrupting people and not listening to them fully. And because you're in a hurry and you want to get your thing and you want to say what you want to say, or being grumpy and taking it out on other people and blaming them. All these things that are so human, I do them regularly, like we all do, but I don't find them as seductive if I'm rooted in my own commitment, my commitment to a world that works for everyone with no one and nothing left out, a commitment to give and receive love in, in every interaction, a commitment to from the Pachamama Alliance, an environmentally sustainable, spiritually fulfilling, socially just human presence on this planet. And I find myself realizing that I've been so fortunate in my life to, to take on or to be given and then received big commitments that put my petty concerns about myself in the background and my commitment in the foreground. And that's what I call freedom when I say freedom. Because when I'm not in touch with my bigger commitments, my commitments larger than my own life starring me, I do get bombarded and pushed around and manipulated by, does she like me? Did I say the right thing? Am I too fat? Am I getting too old? You know, thoughts that debilitate and hamper and obstruct and obfuscate your relationship with the beauty and, and joy of the world. And when I'm in my calling, in my, this is why I'm alive. This is what I came here to contribute to. This is who I am. I feel free to express myself. I feel trustworthy. And so then I trust myself. Mm -hmm. And I stop doubting and questioning and worrying. And I'm in action. Mm -hmm. So it's often like I say, you know, 
worry is a form of negative prayer. Have you ever heard that phrase? That comes from Michael Beckwith. I love that. I mean, when I realize when I'm worried about my kids, worried about whether or not I'm going to, you know, be able to raise the money that I need for my target. And I put the worry in the background and I just get into action. I, I don't have time to worry. I'm in action raising the money. I'm in action talking to my kids about the things that, that I need to tell them. I'm, I'm, I'm making the world work, whether it's on a small scale or a large scale. So I'm, I'm suggesting in my book, and I'm suggesting, and maybe this isn't true for everyone, but I, I found it to be so useful for myself and some of the many, many, you know, many thousands of people I've worked with that having a big commitment that calls to your soul, that that makes your heart sing, that brings you close, close to tears, rather than something to be afraid of because you'll get stuck in something and your options will shut down. Mm-hmm. You know, when we try to keep our options open, we're, we're sort of going sideways. Which option should I entertain? Which option should I keep open? It's almost like going sideways. You find yourself free to flow into the future toward what you're committed to. And, and then suddenly everything's clear and the choices are obvious. And it's not, should I or shouldn't I? It's, I am. <laughs> and that's, that's the long answer to short question. <laughs> no. So I can't help but think about the various levels that commitment operates on. And mm. so there's, there's, you know, committed to myself or committed to my own growth and character building there's committed to my relationships like you know in a marriage or any important relationship it's interesting as you were saying how different it is when we're committed versus looking around for other options and i in in the work that i do these days working inside of companies and with executives it's amazing the difference between someone who's fully committed to you know the 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 workplace, their particular team, their particular organization. And then you're talking about what you were aiming at, I think was more the, you know, our, our life energy, our life commitment. I, I want to just say just a couple words, people who are listening, some may, some may not know about the, you know, one of the major projects that is a big part of your life, the Pachamama Alliance, and the, what I think of it as the commitment toward both helping this indigenous people in Ecuador and then out of that training people in environmental education as a way of shifting the consciousness and actions of the world in terms of making some real traction in the, the climate emergency that we're that we're facing and beautiful the the story the stories and your and your life the way that you're the way that you've been for so many years committed and taking action in this in this realm on a very large large and important scale mm, yeah thank you well it's been a privilege to be able to really declare that i've been called to the amazon it wasn't something i had on my agenda so it's a beautiful example of what i'm saying because I was working on hunger and poverty, and I really dedicated myself to ending world hunger, and that was a call for me, still is. But there were a whole series of events that I think I've told you about of mystical signs that I received and dreams and visions 
that came from the Amazon rainforest where I'd never been. I didn't speak Spanish. I wasn't even thinking about the Amazon and the indigenous people from the Amazons. They're, they're almost all the, the tribes, I think probably a hundred percent of them in the Amazon are what are called dream cultures. And the way they communicate is through dreams, both dreams that we have at night and they dream people to them. And, and I was lucky enough, fortunate enough, blessed enough, I don't know how to phrase it, but to be dreamed to the Atuar people in the Ecuadorian Amazon. And that was so life-changing for me and also my husband, Bill, mm-hmm. that we did what we needed to do to disengage from what we were doing that and complete it in a way that we didn't leave it in the lurch and begin to take on this request, invitation, partnership with the Achuar people of the Ecuadorian Amazon. And out of that engagement, out of that collaboration, we now work with 30 indigenous groups in the Ecuadorian and Peruvian Amazon, 30 nations actually, that straddle Ecuador and Peru in an area called the sacred headwaters of the Amazon rainforest. Sacred headwaters meaning this is the place at the base of the vast Andes mountain range on the western side of the continent where the waters come out of those those mountains many of which are active volcanoes snow-capped active volcanoes dynamic waters that flow out of those mountains that have actually begun and sourced the entire Amazon rainforest and river system that stretches all the way across the South American continent, and is larger than the United States. It spans nine countries mm-hmm. and is a giant part of our ecosystem and ends up being the source of that ecosystem, which is the source of our climate system. Mm-hmm. So we feel so grateful. I mean, really, almost makes me tear up telling you this, and I know this, I've said this a million times, but that we're, I think we're working We've been called to work at the source of the source of life, Mm -hmm. to preserve the long-term sustainability of life on this planet Mm -hmm. by preserving the sacred headwaters of the Amazon, which source the Amazon system, which sources our climate along the oceans. So I feel deeply, deeply called to that work Mm -hmm. and had no idea how to do it. So, you know, no clue. How do you say the Amazon rainforest? How do you preserve it? How do you you get the world to wake up to the way we're living that's destroying Mm -hmm the very life support system on which we depend. But not knowing how to do it is actually useful because then your own agenda doesn't get in the way because you have to surrender to what I'll call source, what I'll call the commitment. And once that commitment is made, as the the famous Murray quote, all manner of things start to show up to support you in fulfilling the commitment. It's like a magic wand (laughs) gets waved over your head and suddenly the right people appear and circumstances start to shift and things start to show up that guide you, particularly when you don't know what you're doing, which is, which is the case for me. (laughs) So it's, it's, it's miraculous. And it's, it's, I don't mean it's, I don't mean it's without its challenges. There's plenty of them, but challenges that you know you can meet mm-hmm. or that you feel yeah. you will meet yeah. with some 
measure of humility. Yeah, the power. I've experienced several times the power of commitment. I mean, even in, I started a calendar greeting card company called Brush Dance. And and I completely threw my heart and soul into that. And investors showed up and executives showed up to help me run it. And the same was true back in the beginning of starting Search Inside Yourself. Amazing how the power, how people, I think, feel it and are drawn. There's a, I mean, there's, you're, you're, you're describing, I think there's a, maybe a mystical element, but also a very practical element. I think that the energy, the energy of commitment is kind of contagious, almost contagious. Yeah, I agree. I'd I'd love to hear your story about Search Inside Yourself. I'm sure people have heard it from your podcast, but you know, it's amazing that that you were at the very heart of that. My God. Yeah. And the beast. Yeah. Part of the beast. You know, and in some way it the 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 deeper you know, in some way, you know, from the outside sometimes we we look like a oh, we're just a training company. We're doing, you know, mindfulness and emotional intelligence trainings in the corporate world. But the the deeper commitment was around scaling meditation. Like, what if what if we could really get millions or billions of people around the world to live a a more sacred life, a more mindful life um, through through the practice of meditation? Again, it's like I think very similar to the work that you're doing, but from us from a slightly different vantage mm-hmm. point. I think we need you know we need people doing the work that you're doing, like protecting the Amazon, working with indigenous people and scaling, scaling environmental awareness and environmental education. And I know, I know part of your work includes, you know, your trainings very much include the inner, the inner work, that inner, that inner shift. And part of that is alignment and helping people feel their own commitment toward the planet toward our toward our environment and and how that as you say doesn't there, yeah there's something about stepping outside of our day-to-day concerns and working towards something larger yeah it's very it's very healthy it feels good and it creates a field a field for participation and it's almost like a magnet i once had a a, a mentor She's still my mentor in many ways, Joan Holmes, who was the CEO and president of the Hunger Project. And she used to use this wonderful metaphor. She said, you know, if there's a bunch of iron filings on a table, if you can imagine little iron filings just scattered all around the table, and then you go get a magnet and you put it at one end of the table, the little iron filings start to line up with the direction of the magnet. and that's when the vibration is pure and sourceful. There's a field and things start to line up with that field. And I learned that from the Hunger Project because Werner Erhard, who created the Hunger Project and really invented it with Buckminster Fuller and, and John Denver and some others, but Werner's kind of special genius and Bucky's special genius really created that if we made a commitment to end world hunger, if the worldwide community could commit to it, we would start working on it so differently. 
we wouldn't be feeling sorry for hungry people and being sen- sentimental about it and doing the best we can and sort of, you know, pitting them. We would realize they're on the front lines of something that we can all participate in. And it's, that a billion people are hungry all the time, most of them children, is an indictment of the human family. What's wrong? What, 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 what is off about the way we're living that we would allow that? And if we commit to ending it, we'll start to work on it in a way that's effective and powerful. And it's true. Once that commitment was made, first by the Hunger Project, but we can't take credit for it exactly, there was a field and then CARE, UNICEF, Save the Children, the big giant organizations with billions of dollars and millions of people started to speak and work in a different way. And now when I started working at the Hunger Project in 1977, the deaths were 44,000 a day on a planet with with just over 4.3 billion people. And now we have 8 billion people in the deaths when are we have almost twice as many, and the deaths of hunger and starvation are down from 44,000 people a day, most of them children under five, to 12,000. That was not predictable. Not predictable. 12,000 is still way too many every day. But, oh my God, on a planet that's twice as populated. So it's, it's incredible. Now, I'm not saying the Hunger Project produced that result. I wouldn't ever presume that, but we were in the business, you could say, of generating a worldwide commitment out of which new kinds of thinking and action and participation would begin to emerge. And, and it did. It's incredible. Yeah. No, I love how you told the story of the, the metal filings, and then you kind of illustrated it with the real world commitment toward hunger and how all this energy, organizations, money, like those filings all kind of came together and produced some, those are amazing. I I hadn't heard those statistics. As you say, it's like, it's sad. And why is anyone going hunger, hungry today? And amazing, the progress that's been made Mm -hmm. over the years. And and so important in today's world to acknowledge progress because Mm -hmm. our world is in such disarray with so many breakdowns and when we acknowledge progress and we really see how the magnitude of the progress Mm -hmm. it it creates the strength and courage to deal with the magnitude of the of the challenges yeah yeah it's one of the things that i appreciate about your your book around commitment the talking about not ignoring the pains not ignoring the pains and challenges but also not ignoring the progress and the possibilities mm-hmm. and the hope. And those, those, that, those might seem obvious, but I think they're enormous. I think because mm-hmm. it's hard to really feel the pain, to really feel it, to really see it, right? Whether it's hunger, the racial divides that, that you know, are, are still with us. The you know, <laughs> article I just read in today's, New York Times about how there's plastic in our bodies. So that's just micro. It's like, oh man, it's like horrible, horrible. And and yet we're we keep finding solutions and possibilities for for the big 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 problems and phenomenal possibility and solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
There's lots of work to do. We're, we're not going to be bored. <laughs> I, I wonder, Lynn, of, of all of the things that are happening, what, what, what is one thing that gives you hope right now? What gives you some sense of possibility and gives you a sense of hope in your life or the, the, your world, this world? Well, I, I'm standing for ending the climate crisis, ending it, not mitigating it, not doing the best we can, not figuring out how to adapt. All of those things are included, but I think that like ending world hunger, ending the climate crisis, really saying so, we can do it since we created it. I mean, we really did create it. <laughs> it's a human-caused problem, and we can not only reverse it, but we can restore this planet to a livable, thriving, pre-industrial-level ecosystem, you know, thriving world. And I think that's what, what I want to commit my life to now. And it inspires me to even think that thought. You know, I'm, I'm in my senior chapter. And when I look at that opportunity to, to work at that, let's see, at that depth of what's possible and generate that possibility, I want to generate that not only for myself, but for people younger than myself. And I'm, I'm lucky enough to have connections and opportunities as you do with my own children and grandchildren, but also with large organizations that are populated by people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, who are in the prime of their productivity. And I call myself someone who hasn't retired and never will. I keep getting refired, <laughs> refired up <clears throat> by the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And I will probably till, you know, I'm in my grave. And I'm so inspired by the energy and the the power of young people and their command of the of the abuse of technology. They are, you know, while I struggle to get myself on the right microphone for this call, <laughs> they're it's just natural, it's like breathing for them. And our technologies, you know, as scary as they are for someone like me in my age group, they're so amazing what they can do when you're conversant with them when you, as you are, because of your, your years with Google, when you can, when they're at your fingertips, they almost extend your capacity to be useful. And, and then with the, with the energy of source, I'll call it the energy of, you might call it mindfulness and, and integrity. What we can do with all this is just astounding. Mm -hmm. And I'm super inspired by that. Mm -hmm. You know, when I get afraid of AI and chat, GBT and, and blockchain and all that stuff, I need to pull back and say, look, this is here. It's not going to go away. So let's, let's love it into being that which we use to transform the world rather than fear it and try to mitigate its power, or keep it away from our little ones. I, 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 I have done that. I've done both. But it's here to stay. It's not going away. It's not like we can stop it. We can use it. We can harness its beauty, its, its, its power. 
we being particularly people younger than I. So I feel very inspired by, you know, I think as every generation in my age group for eons has, is always inspired by the youth and that, that inspires me too. So I'm, I'll say that. And then I'll also say I'm, I'm seeing and hearing from the biggest, most egregious corporate powers a revelation and recognition that they have to totally, with some humility and with some courage, make such enormous changes that it looked impossible to them for so long, and now they know they can't put it off for one more minute. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I hate that it's so late, let's say that, to be honest, but it's never too late. Mm -hmm. It's never too late. Mm -hmm. And no matter what we say the window is, it's never too late to commit to transforming your business, your life, mm -hmm. your way, your, your consciousness. Mm -hmm. So I'm really inspired by that. Mm -hmm. The people that used to be the most troublesome for me have become the way through, could be mm -hmm. very much the way through, mm -hmm. coupled with this enormous surge of power of technology and the enormous surge of commitment and beauty mm -hmm. and love for this planet that's coming from younger generations. Mm -hmm. And then finally, that we're all on the playing field together. There's never been a time in history that I know of where so many generations have been on the playing field, not one turning the baton over to the other. No, we're all, you know, look at you, look at me. We're, we're not good luck kids. No, we're on the field. And that intergenerational power of, it looks like, you know, you could say five generations, four or five generations working together, maybe for the first time in history, mm. is probably what we need and also such a beautiful time to be alive. Mm -hmm. So I'm inspired by all of those things. Mm -hmm. I love your the commitment to ending, right, to solving this climate crisis. And, you know, I, I think it was probably many people, but I think of Paul Hawken who said something like, right, if you're, if you're not pessimistic, you're not paying attention. But if you're not optimistic, you're not paying attention either. And I don't know why, but as you were as you were speaking, the, the thought a book that really has inspired me from years ago is a book about the Wright brothers and this crazy commitment they had to figure out how humans could fly. Like I mean, people really thought they were insane. Like how could humans can't fly? You know, and and now that we take for granted, you know, getting in an airplane and flying across the, across the world, you know, and of course, you know, it turns out that flying is a miracle and has its shadow side It's part of, you know, it's part of, you know, spewing, <laughs> spewing carbons into the air, but we're, but we're now, I think, committed to solving some of these, some of these huge problems. So, ah, the power, the power of commitment, the power of yeah. commitment on all, all levels. It's, it's incredible, the power of commitment, really incredible. It's, it's really how everything really ultimately evolves, I think, through the power of commitment. Mm -hmm. Not luck, mm -hmm. not even destiny, mm -hmm. just being committed yeah. and allowing the commitment to move through you in a way that you 
are an instrument of something greater than yourself. Well, Lynn, I want to thank you for you're such a shining example of this deep commitment because partly it's it's a it's a way of being a light living a life of commitment and you're you're one of the real shining lights on our planet so thank you for all of your commitment action and and hard work and and most of all your presence appreciated a lot mm-hmm. thank you mark and yours so wonderful to talk to you i i love the field that you are for conversations that matter and you you are a presence that has the best of who you interview show up and i i'm grateful to be one of those people so thank you thank you Lynn. listen in each week for interviews teachings and guided meditations You'll receive supportive tools for creating more meaningful work and mindfulness practices to develop yourself, to influence your organization, and to help change the world. Thank you for listening.